0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, and your Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A show, a part two for this week, building off of a very busy new cycle to close the year. Big thanks to y'all for the questions you sent in. No way I was going to get to the 50 plus or so all in one go. Huge thanks as well to Jerry Siddeth, who puts them together for us, and to our great partners in Cooper Tires. Spent so many years supporting the Road Indie, the USF Championships, Indie Lights, and whatnot. Huge thank you to them for all they have done. Twenty twenty three marking their final season, doing so. But huge thanks to them. They were one of our original podcast partners as well. One of their associates as well came on this year to help promote everything going on in the USF Championships. That being Discount Tire. Massive thank you to them as well for joining us on this journey. So we get near to the end of it, just a couple weeks away from rolling the clock over to a new year. Then we have the Justice Brothers, been a member of the Pruitt family through my father's shop back since the 1970s, makers of amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants. Then finally, TorontoMotorsports.com. Pay them a visit if you love yourself some motor racing memorabilia, merchandise, hats, stickers, T-shirts, models, books, you name it. All right, so part two, why don't we get rolling here, get some, uh, get some questions, get some answers, and then say farewell to this and expect there to be a pretty stout Week in IndyCar question list next week as well. So we are going to pick up where we left off and with that we have our friend maddie mcdonald maddie great to have a submission from you here greatly appreciate you and hope i get to see you again next season i'm gonna take a sip of coffee by the way oh, there we go nothing like espresso roast to uh, fire up a mental engine that is seriously uh malfunctioning maddie says i noticed that chuck Shifsky, chuck being the motorsports manager for american honda I noticed that Chuck's comments focused almost as much on return on investment and value as say the costs themselves in his and Honda's very strong, strong wording about IndyCar needing to bring the annual cost to participate as an engine supplier down by Chuck's words by fives and tens of millions of dollars per year. So Matty goes on to say, but I've seen a lot of discussion on reducing costs and a lot less about how any car can deliver more value coming back to roi for honda's investment do you have a sense of what thing could change to deliver enough value to honda they feel more comfortable with their existing investment is it simply more eyeballs on the sport is it a more flexible engine formula that lets them better showcase their technology and brand identity what do they care most about from the value side Great question, Maddie. Perfect for a little bit deeper opening question. <clears throat> what we had with Honda and what they shared with us on racer.com last Friday was this. We're spending a ton to be involved in IndyCar. What we feel we're getting back is nothing like what we're putting in. So there's a couple of ways to address that. Either IndyCar delivers much greater value, should be very hard to do in the short term. The other option is bring costs way down so we feel like we are spending at about the level that we are getting back, more aligned. This is the, wait a minute, (laughs) the meal that I bought yesterday was $10 and it felt like I got eight nine ten dollars worth of a meal what you're asking me to pay is 50 or 100 dollars for the same exact meal at your restaurant and it feels like it's eight or nine or ten bucks worth this is the part here maddie where really and truly i don't see how indycar can do anything swiftly to drastically increase the value of what they get back So I think that's why, in the story that just went up yesterday, Wednesday on Racer, that being Honda's and Chuck's thoughts on how to reduce costs, I think that's where the mindset needs to be taken here. So you asked, what do they care about most from the value side? Getting the value, I think, is what they care most about instead of any specific item oh the more eyeballs the flexible engine formula i think the answer here the overarching answer here, is honda's just looking to get value for what they spend the minutia of how that value is parsed out greater tv ratings bigger audience size younger demographic those are not things that IndyCar can fix in the year to two years it has left before Honda would decide to either continue after the contract runs out at the end of 2026 or decide to leave. That's where we have this really hard thing in front of us, Maddie. I wish it were a case of, hey, Give Honda more hospitality suites at the tracks. Uh, Give them more great parking passes. Uh, Put up some free Honda banners at a variety of races so they have a stronger marketing appearance and whatnot. It's none of those things. It's none of the little add-ons and grace notes you might use to try and appease an unhappy partner sponsor or otherwise this is a really big foundational issue that they are cracking open and sharing with us i believe i mentioned this at the close of part one of this week's podcasts and i've been asked to not go into details so i won't but indycar did not learn about honda's serious serious worries everything that you might have read in that story on racer last week none of that was learned for the first time by the series series already aware of it it's already been expressed to them so knowing that you have this tough situation maddie where to keep honda in a good place happy place wanting to continue place the only swift short term action that could be taken is to find a way to bring costs way down so they see a more eye to eye with what we're spending to what we're getting. Because again, I just don't see how IndyCar can drastically increase that value in key metrics in a year or two. Two other little things to add here keep in mind that indycar has been growing right it's not a case of indycar being a failure and indycar having no fans again it's none of that it's not a doomsday thing like honda's woken up and decided indycar is just a, a useless and wasted exercise for the amount of money it costs us to be involved the slight issue to significant issue here is yes Things continue to grow and improve each year, but it's by small amounts, very small amounts. 2%, I believe, was the increase in viewership from 2022 to 2023. 2%, I mean, it's a number. It's just not that 12%. That, I think, would move the needle for a Honda or any partner or sponsor team looking for something to justify their continued participation in the series two percent it's a positive number it's just not a number that says we're going places in in a swift manner other thing to keep in mind here too maddie is honda's not the only manufacturer in the series obviously chevrolet been in the series for a while right they rejoined in 2012 they were involved previously in the IRL they're involved in the 80s and 90s and cart but Honda's been here for quite a while as well got to keep in mind that Honda's wants and needs might not be Chevy's might not be a case where well indycar is going to make grand changes modify the engine formula the story that went up yesterday with chuck honda's proposal or suggestion is maybe we go to a spec engine right we're no longer super concerned about fighting one another over the internal combustion engines and who has the better internal combustion engine mainly because fans don't give a crap used to be a big thing, no longer been, hasn't for a while. The things that interest Honda, at least, most, more on the hybridization side, the software, the controls, the spending small fortunes every year to develop and build and supply their internal combustion engines, that's something they're willing to give up in the name of, saving outrageous sums of money by doing that boom they all of a sudden would be participating in indycar at a financial level that they can tolerate and tolerate easily badge those spec motors they suggested ilmore which builds chevy's engines could be the one to be the spec supplier Honda could buy them, lease them, whatever it is. However, IndyCar and the manufacturer would decide upon that facilitation, put their name on the cam cover, and hopefully lots of other manufacturers would join in too at a greatly reduced cost to lease these motors, uh, provide these motors with uh, partner teams and such, and maybe we then get three, five, who knows how many manufacturers because it's a spec engine, put your name on it, you're part of the series. IndyCar would obviously want those manufacturers to commit serious marketing dollars to the series. Helps continue to enrich the series, but also grows its presence from a marketing and promotion standpoint. You think about what two manufacturers can do and Chevy and Honda with their respective marketing regarding their participation in IndyCar double that get that to four get that to six it's just a much bigger and louder voice telling the country hey this series it's great we're in it we love it come follow it be a part of it Uh, that amplification of voices that's a huge thing that's what made cart so popular in the 1990s other factors as well but there were three four five manufacturers fighting each other like mad and activating like mad doing all they could to help fill the grandstands when you just got two that becomes a real challenge so there are some merits here maddie to chuck's thoughts honda's thoughts it's not the only way to do things it's just the key one that stood out to them IndyCars cars answer to this was to find a third manufacturer because if we could find a third then chevy and honda would need to spend less because they would have fewer engines to supply, reduces costs on their end. That's the way they see to fix this. Haven't been able to sign a third manufacturer since they started trying in 2013. And nobody that I know believes a third manufacturer will be found anytime soon. So at least for what IndyCar CEO, Penske Entertainment CEO Mark Miles told me in response to that, it's a non-starter uh it's it's a nice idea but there's no third manufacturer coming in anytime soon so it does maddie to close here come back to if we're going to keep honda in the series what do you do how do you do it well i wish it were something simple in isolation where indycar could make a big big call a big decision and that appeased honda made chevy happy and peace and prosperity and long-term relationship will continue into the next decade but we do have a situation where honda's views on how to do this might not be indycars might not be chevys you also have another dynamic where the person who owns indycar Roger Penske, Penske Entertainment, is the co-founder of Ilmore. Do a lot of business with Chevrolet. I'm not saying that Penske would ignore Honda's needs and pleas in order to go with whatever Chevrolet wants, but keep in mind that there are pretty serious considerations to be made with a long-standing relationship between Chevrolet and Ilmore. person who co-founded it, who bankrolled the start of ilmore and continues to co-own it is also the person who runs the series so imagine you've got honda on one side saying hey big change is needed if chevrolet feels the same way i think it becomes pretty easy to go to a spec engine or who knows what kind of solution might be best but if you do not have chevrolet of the same opinion i don't know how we keep both manufacturers in the series so this is where there's some really tough decisions coming maddie final piece here have mentioned that honda i believe chevrolet as well are both signed through 2026 as indycar's official engine suppliers i think on the Honda side, that they will be here through the end of that contract, have not heard them say they won't, have heard rumblings that, how's this, I embraced for the possibility that we might have one engine manufacturer before we get to 2026 it's this is serious y'all this is very serious this isn't just posturing i've read some comments from folks not y'all but saying wow this is just a political game that honda's playing and they're trying to get stuff out of indycar and they're trying to rattle their cage a bit and just saying (laughs) i've seen i've heard i've received those instances where a manufacturer or similar has done something like that and it was all part of a strategy some strategery this ain't it this is real this is serious i say this to you having spent many hours on the phone forming stories that have been written and maybe some more that are coming Um, this is real and i hope that indycar treats it as such unless it is prepared to go forward as a single supplier championship by default not because it chose to go to a spec engine but because one brand left and you hope the other stays in so yeah interesting times ahead my friend uh dave heisen you say mp i believe you've told us that imsa hybrids are chassis mounted and indy cars are stressed members you know where i'm going with this uh probably yeah depending upon the the motor in imsa's hybrid gtp class some have a little bit of uh stress relieving some are mounted in the car with uh some extra tubing and whatnot to uh, create greater stiffness torsional rigidity and whatnot um for those who don't know maybe don't care uh indycar engine formula one engine and most formula car open wheel cars uh, have stressed engines what does that mean instead of there being a kind of a steel cage or something uh, a f- box frame built uh, that you drop the motor into and it's carried around in the chassis compared to what we have here where the engine itself is a stressed member there's no cage or frame that it just drops into like the motor in your street car or truck uh, It's a difference between a a truly bespoke racing engine that is made out of fine, fine metals that can withstand all the twisting and bending and whatnot. Connects the bell housing, the transmission, everything hanging off the back of the car, bolts to the back of the engine. The front of the engine bolts to the back of the open wheel chassis. Um, It is a load bearing member of the chassis. Uh, And what Dave's getting at here is, hey, couldn't we just pull some of those stress-bearing IMSA GTP engines over to IndyCar? And we already could with the Acura uh, GTP car, which uses the 2.4 liter IndyCar engine that uh, IndyCar and the manufacturers killed. But back to the same answer to this question, and that is, the thing that makes an Indy car perform like an Indy car is things are small, light, narrow and low. GTP motors, except for that Acura, are nothing small, light, narrow and low. And so what you'd get, Dave, by trying to plug a 4-liter BMW twin turbo V8 into the back of an Indy car is something that weighs two or three times as much. And is tall and is wide, and throws off the handling like you wouldn't believe, and makes the thing way slow, and jacks up the aerodynamics, and takes away the space in the underwing, the floor to make downforce. Has an engine cover and side pods that just poke way out, make the thing look like it's kind of expecting a baby. Um, Love the idea of taking motors from other series and dropping them into an IndyCar. But the thing that makes an IndyCar perform like it does is these small engines that make a lot of power that are stressed and fit. We talk or I use frequently as saying, love those GTP motors, but for the most part, they're all a size 10 shoe. And the engine bay in an Indy car requires a size 5. And if you've ever tried to squeeze your foot into a shoe that's too small, if you've got a size 10, even a size 9 is uncomfortable. It uh, doesn't really work. Imagine a size 5. That's what we're talking about here. So we would have cars at Indianapolis going, I don't even know, 200 maybe? that handle that are the worst handling things ever because we now have this car that is just squatting down at the back with this big comparatively heavy large thing causing it to roll around so yeah the concept i love the execution just simply not possible uh neil how you doing neil say okay you walk us through what happens after practice qualifying and warm-up sessions Uh, I'll pick one of those. Uh, We'll go with practice, Neil. So when we're in the paddock, you see a flurry of activity by the crew, engineers, and drivers. What main things are crew members doing when they tear things apart? What gets covered in the meetings with engineers and driver and so on? Uh, Let's start with what are the crew members doing. So if we have the opening practice session, 75 minutes long for IndyCar. Teams never use all 75 minutes on track. Why? Tend to have nine sets of tires for the weekend, start to finish. All the uh, primary tires, the red banded alternates. 75 minutes is a lot of time. If you were to run all 75, you would burn through half your tires, at least for the weekend. You'd still have a second practice qualifying, potentially a warm-up and the race. You think about what the team's doing coming into that session? They've got a whole run plan, right? We've done simulator work, simulation, all kinds of things to try and come up with the optimal starting setup for the car. Springs, damping configuration, anti-roll bar configuration, aerodynamic configuration, ride height. <clears throat> All manner of things, all the suspension adjustments, tow and camber and yada yada. This is what we think is going to be optimal suspension geometry. These are all the things that we believe will have this car in the best setup configuration to start this weekend. And now we're going to run through a plan during that session. And I know you asked what happens after, but I got to tell you what happens during so you know then what happens after each team will have a complete highly detailed list of what they want to try to test basically during that session so a lot of that will be based on the tires right even if it's using the same tire from last year at whatever round we're at teams will still track could change year to year right less grip, more polished, whatever it is. There's always something different to require having to go out and learn and explore. We call it practice, but it's really testing. Go out and test the tires, the tires as they interact with the track surface. Driver provides feedback. Hey boy, here there's no grip and over here that this curb is a little different or there's some new bumps in this area that unsettle the car in ways that it didn't before all that information comes back to the team to the engineers where they go aha okay well we need to think about those new bumps the undulations in this corner because that corner is really critical to, to nail and produce a fast lap so they'll start thinking about possible spring changes or damper changes or a ride height change or again variety of things they might modify on the car's setup. They'll run through a whole bunch of other things as well. Hey, you know, we want to try going up on spring rate, 100 pounds at the front of the car and see how it reacts. We want to modify this. I'm going to tweak that. And it is very much like if you've ever been to the optometrist when they have that little thing they or large thing they put in front of you with the different optical choices. Do you like A? Do you like B? Click, 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 click. Okay, you like A. Great, we'll lock that in. What about this refinement? Do you like A or B? Okay, you don't like that. Okay, got it. It's a lot like that of picking and choosing through small refinements to improve the car's handling. That'll be the plan to go throughout the practice session. Afterwards, team will debrief with the driver, get in-depth feedback use that information that will then go into the formulation of the setup for the start of the next session so we move into that after part car's parked driver climbs out goes to the timing stand talks to the race engineer primarily also it's not uncommon to have a chief mechanic there listening in driver might say hey you know we i know that we just modified this in the cockpit but you know my elbow is rubbing on something a little bit or hey i noticed my hand is kind of hitting a little something could we tweak this or hey whatever get the feedback from the driver as well on any fit or comfort changes necessary hey i know we replaced the master cylinders on the car but could we move the brake pedal up just you know quarter of an inch or something she's get that list so you then kind of split off the two things car goes to the garage under the tent driver goes into the transporter to do a longer debrief with the engineers under the tent team will do inspections car will have most likely been heavily rebuilt torn apart significantly all put back together before it went out and did that first practice session neil And so, won't necessarily get the car all the way up on the tallest stands, floor taken off, and like that level of inspecting their work. But there will be a very dedicated effort, often with the use of little flashlights, to look around and find things. See if you can find any little leaks. That can happen too during the session, right? Do what's called an install app. when cars all leave the pits at the same time come back and park for those who've been through a serious rebuild um, tend to get the engine cover off for sure but also maybe even the side pods and such and looking around poking around seeing if you can find anything that is loose or leaking or whatever else have a little bit of time to do that but it's not a big everyone has wrenches in their hands type deal you get a little more of that after that opening session where you go okay we got time we got two hours or in the way IndyCar's done things honestly we've got until the track closes the paddock closes for us to do this because we tend to do just one practice session on opening days on fridays at least for rodent street courses um, but that's when they'll get the uh, the wrenches and ratchets and whatnot out and make sure everything's tight make sure all the water and oil and hydraulic and whatnot connections are good electrical connections are good it's generally referred to as a nut and bolt you'll nut and bolt the car check all the nuts and bolts so you do that but since these are pros it's not necessary to do this to the great depths that uh, you'd find in some of the lower formulas bottom line though car is under the tent after the session up on some sort of stands usually um, in the teams, looking over everything, inspecting everything, come out of that engineering meeting where the driver and all the technical group there come up with a bit of a plan or some thoughts. Engineers will be looking through the onboard data, right, the data acquisition that comes back, looking for any little things that might give indicators of how a problem was manifesting or why there was a problem something that could be improved support what the driver's saying quantified hey you said you had understeer power down here okay can see it and all right we're understanding through the data of how that happened okay that'll help us to determine which direction to go to mitigate that for the next session take a little while but you will get a setup sheet that comes out um actual piece of paper Uh, it's not so much a thing but uh more in a digital capacity but you'll get those changes highlighted for the crew chief and crew to then apply to the car raise this lower that adjust etc etc other part here is you have simulation going on by pretty much every team So, they'll come out of a session here, Neil, to close and have a variety of ideas on how they might make those fixes to improve the car, improve lap time, improve the drivability. And instead of just going into the next session with one idea, see how that works, and then try a bunch more, often use that time overnight to run through hardcore computer simulation of those changes and see which one the sim says you know this might be the leading direction to go and so there could be uh, a change in the morning to the setup to adapt and make again whatever little tweaks are necessary uh, to what they consider to be the optimal setup to start practice two um I think that pretty much covers off everything you had, brother. I know you had to send this in a couple times. I appreciate that. But uh, hopefully that gets us uh, pretty far down the road on what happens. So, yeah, uh, folks are pretty darn busy. uh, But it is pretty cool to see the action, the downloading, and the reaction playing out in, I guess, real time if you're standing there watching. It's also... Racing's equivalent, IndyCar's equivalent of going into halftime, right? Football fan, basketball fan, whatever's happened during that first half, rarely are teams able to react on the fly if they're being beaten up by the other team and have to radically change their approach to how they play that team. But this is something where the equivalent of engineers and and whatnot are looking at things as they're happening, making some notes, receiving feedback, doing their own visual observation, maybe using some replay as well, and then go into halftime to try and come up with, all right, boy, they're killing us on the ground. Their run game is insane. We can't stop anybody. What do we got to do to address this? And they'll come back out with some different plays to call, some different scheme, whatever else, but that's in a short amount of time 15 minutes or whatever it is here again tends to be maybe a couple hours but there's so many variables to consider with tuning an indy car that you really do need every minute possible to come up with the best direction forward uh chris ward you see he told me to resubmit this okay mp hell froze over and cm punk has returned to the wwe he did saw him monday uh what would the indy car equivalent of that be Say continued prayers for you and your wife, Shabral, and your fur babies. Well, thank you. And even though this is a morning recording, there are no cats sleeping in the office, which is kind of rare. No Rocky snoring next to me or Rosie just being her lovingly crazy self. Uh, Dario Franchitti. Indy 500 farewell. Although he did have a farewell quote in his final season. Uh, He got injured at the end, but I think that would be one, wouldn't it? I mean, everybody loves Dario, I think. Um, He shouldn't do it uh, with the the known scares and potential for uh, concussion and such. So we wouldn't want him to do it. Uh, But he has been racing a decent amount in other things, more vintage racing. But I think Dario coming back, I think that would receive a, a pretty good pop, right? 3 time 500 winner. Um I mean Tony Khan just obviously had a huge huge response to his farewell, but it was known. I mean him coming back I think would still have a massive response, but it wouldn't be one of those crazy CM Punk what type deals just because he just raced at the 500 in May. Dario comes to mind. I'm just trying to think who else is super I mean we love him, that being Juan Pablo Montoya. I don't know if the crowd goes insane. The, the, the I think, biggest, best... Folks have wanted it to happen for a while. I mean, Dario would be the kind of Homer choice, right? Like, lifelong dedication to IndyCar, career ended in a kind of sad way, not of his making... The one, though, who's still young enough, I think could fit. That might be the best and biggest pop, Tony Stewart. I mean, right? Indianapolis, Indiana, son of the state, IndyCar champion, not an Indy 500 winner. I think that would be that would be the one for me where folks would lose their mind like kyle larson doing it's going to be really cool how many folks in the world of IndyCar car truly love kyle larson like he's their there as my wife would say i don't think many and that's not meant as a criticism towards kyle it's just not any car driver super cool that this nascar champ is going to come over and do this super high profile we know he's one of the all-time greats on dirt ovals short track racing etc so this is going to be great There's going to be a lot of fanfare but this is not kind of one of our own doing something stewart coming back that would be a one of our own so i think chris the CM Punk equivalent that would absolutely be Tony Stewart uh Chris Ludwig continued prayers to your wife and you thanks Chris Does with least engines are fluid spec by the manufacturer they open f- to the teams uh they are spec for sure bearing in mind that some teams have lubrication partners and whatnot um Don't honestly know how that process is done from a formal capacity, but I'm sure that if a team has a oil sponsor, for example, uh, that is something that Honda would want to, or Chevy would want to completely test and validate and make sure that all of its properties work well and not to the detriment of the motors. I'll leave it at that. And I could be wrong, but I believe that's how it works. Uh, Garen Porters, we get down towards the end of the show. I love that 1988 Penske PC-17 for sure, Garen. Wow, just dominating the Indy 500, a dominating year. Championship won in cart by Danny Sullivan. That machine was rather amazing. If I had to think of others that really stand out, in a hall of fame type thing i mean we'd be looking back early 20s at some early 1920s i guess at some of uh harry miller's designs so beautiful uh what else i love the aesthetics of the roadsters right but as a whole the formula never did much for me almost became IndyCar's first spec type formula coming out of World War II, right? Bit of a a dumbed-down formula. Folks more or less built the same type of chassis, the same look. Just about everybody, unless I'm forgetting some real oddities, but everybody used the same four-cylinder Offenhauser engine, the Curtis Craft, the Curtis Roadster. Uh, really stood out as kind of the epitome of that formula so beautiful cars but also again they were all kind of the the first time that i can think of an indy car where they were all matchy matchy and all kind of sort of the same um really for me the the cars that i love the most is when we get into the 1960s and it's because Turbocharging fires into the series towards the end of the 60s. Wings start to come in towards the end of the 60s. Uh, rear engine obviously now granted like back in like I forget the exact year 1934 1936 was the first rear-engined Indy car uh attempting to qualify for Indy 500 the thing just looked like a tractor uh was The opposite of sophistication modeled after some of what had been seen or all of what had been seen in Europe, um, particularly with auto union. But we get into the early 60s, rear engine revolution starts to come along. It's just really interesting to look at this old-timey, no front engines, the way to go. A lot of folks who refused. (coughs) To get in line with that rear engine move, which was superior from a handling standpoint, uh, aerodynamics, you name it. Get into some of the the really cool cars here. Eagle, All-American Racers. They start building what I think 66 was their first chassis, their first IndyCar. uh, And start moving along there, just gorgeous as can be. Claren built some really beautiful cars, and they're amazing cars technologically as well. Get into the early 70s, mid 70s, and cartoonish wings, they just look so extreme. Plus, you have turbocharging with those Offenhauser motors making over a thousand horsepower. Um, you know, just so much innovation in particular. In the 60s, 62, 3, 4, things really start to take off. 65 and on. Mention some of the maybe standards, the Lotus 38, gorgeous, gorgeous car for sure. And there's a lot in there that I would put in my Hall of Fame 70s. There's some really fun things in there too. Bob Riley doing some great designing for AJ Foyt and Coyote. Like, wow. 80s, some nice stuff in there. Pepsi Challenger, that Eagle, that 1981 Eagle, designed by my friend John Ward, driven by Mike Mosley. That thing just looked like it from outer space. A lot of the cars that followed, kind of chunky, looked more like whales than sleek indie cars. We get towards the latter stages of the 80s, though, which you're pointing to here, Garen. And that's where, really, for me at least, we start to see beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shapes. Um, 91 Penske as well fits that. I think of all the Penskys, the one that I really loved the most, thought it was the most beautiful, and also just a weapon that killed everything, seemingly. Uh, was the Penske PC 23, right? Oh boy. That was phenomenal. Um, there's some others afterwards, right? The Renard 94 I, their very first Indy car, that thing turned IndyCar car on its head, right? Basically made Penske cars irrelevant somewhat quickly, uh, stopped Lola, Lola still had a really strong 93 94 95 not so much they came back stronger a little bit later in the 90s but Renard really just turned the business on its head in IndyCar just thought the cars looked beautiful they performed in amazing capacity Pano's dPO1 from 2007 uh one of the most beautiful Indy cars ever it's the car that for all those who drove it and have driven cars afterwards, Indy cars afterwards. Some even beforehand say that's their favorite, performed the best, gorgeous, just everything about it was just sublime. So there's a there's a number that uh, would absolutely put in that chassis Hall of Fame, Garen, in your choice of a PC17, I think is a really really good one. Um Darren Dubois asking why did Cuiac Motorsports? I think you meant Cusick Motorsports. Uh, why did Cusick Motorsports and Stefan Wilson separate from Dry Reinbold Racing for the Indy 500? I thought that alliance was pretty strong. I did too. Um, I have heard that the team's chosen to, quote, go in a different direction. Um, I do not believe the lack of continuing for a second year had anything to do with a lack of willingness from don cusick or stefan wilson so yeah as i understand it this was a decision made on the Dreyer and reinbold side uh down to our last couple of questions and i'll look below the red line of death to see if there's anything we should pick up uh marcus miller you say why in the world wasn't calum Ailott picked up by a team or at least signed for next year big loss for IndyCar. Carr. love to see him though in the uh hertz jota GTP car that being the FI World Endurance Championship Porsche 963 privateer effort. Well, don't know if it's totally out of the realm of possibility. Uh there's one team I know of, granted there's only two teams, that being Coin and Foyt, that have incomplete lineups and I'm aware that one of them has a keen interest in making use of callum if possible next year uh the why answer why have none of them signed him they're all looking for money they're all looking for drivers who can bring funding and also be excellent callum brings the second part the excellent part he is a paid race car driver not a guy with sponsors not a guy who brings funding so for two of the smaller teams who do indeed need money to run the cars, they're looking around to see who they might find, who fits that bill. And if they were to pick up sponsors, that certainly then makes it easier to hire a Callum Ilot. But uh, again, if they had the ability to do that or willingness to do that, they would have done that a month ago or two months ago or however long ago it's been since he officially parted with Hunkos a Racing. The fact that it hasn't tells you it has nothing to do with talent. It's the business side. Uh, Jeremiah S. C. H. N. MP, could you give us a peek of some non-driving, non-drivers moving to new teams? It should be a great addition. Huh. I tend to try and put those in print f- first jeremiah this doesn't the one thing that comes to mind and it doesn't fit with uh, moving but elevation or moving within the same team i'm aware of a new race engineer be working in indycar next season and i am so excited about it they are awesome absolutely deserve it absolutely earned it and i think folks are going to be really stoked when they hear about it so uh, i just don't have an idea on when the team wants to make that public and i know that that team wants to make a big deal out of it Uh, so when i know those things in advance and i am able uh, i just keep them to myself um This is the final question above Jerry's red line. So we're going to go with that. And it's our pal Grant Stouter. So since things seem to be completely on fire, both in IndyCar and the world at large, if you could pick one non-racing leader to lead IndyCar into its next golden era, who would it be? Say, my choice is Winston Churchill. We shall race on the ovals. We shall race in the streets. Wow. Why are you asking me to think with my brain? Put on my thinking brain this early in the morning, Grant who would i choose i know that i can't name any american president because that's just going to piss off half of everybody who would i pick that one pretty simple actually it just fell into my brain brian herda uh small business owner successful race winning indy car driver Someone who has developed from scratch big, important, championship-winning relationship with an auto manufacturer, that being Hyundai, seen IndyCar from all sides, having won the Indy 500 as a team owner, Indy 500 a second time as an entrant-slash-race strategist, Raised a son who has phenomenal skill, race-winning driver, championship contender, understands the sport from angle of a driver, team owner, business person, father, strategist even, someone who has found, appeased, kept sponsors, lost sponsors been scammed by sponsor at least one that comes to mind developed a big relationship with an auto manufacturer one that continues to sing and do big things so grasps the high level corporate side has a pretty decent side staff of folks that he leads Work for him, obviously, but created a really strong, positive environment there. Some genuinely happy and motivated people hold themselves to a high level of conduct. Take the fact that Brian's also really smart, really creative, witty, someone who I believe is universally liked within the IndyCar paddock, who is one of my long-standing handful of common sense kings, right? Got a question, want a perspective, couple of folks I always ring because I know they won't necessarily agree with the thing I'm asking or the position I'm taking on something, but will provide absolutely strong, sharp, smart, well-considered insight or ideas that guy's the perfect choice i'm glad you asked this grant it took me a moment but it's brian Herda. um also doesn't f around wants things done the right way and the right way first knows the history of the sport been in the sport for a long time champion in the junior open wheel level grasps all of that been hurt right broken leg knocked out of the series for a little bit seeing the downside experienced that as well i'm just saying like every single aspect of what brian has done on the inside of the sport now transition to the team owner side seeing his son seeing manufacturer alliance seeing the future Operating in a different series as well, right? In IMSA, seeing how they do things there. Would obviously have a lot of great ideas on what works, what doesn't, what might be brought over to improve IndyCar. Uh, it's Brian Hurda and Brian Herta all day. So love that question. I uh, would also love to get some feedback from y'all. What you think? Um, let me see. Is there anything else we'll get to? No, Jerry, if you would, just take a look at the, uh, everything below the red line here. And let me know if there's anything else uh, you think we should carry over to the next episode. Uh, we'll mention this. I know that I mentioned one or two shows ago, the thought of or concept of doing an award show, the made up award show, which we did a couple of years ago. I'm not ready to do that right now. And I apologize, but things are, maintaining a crazy pace work-wise and at home uh, i need to knock this out uh jump do another podcast and we leave here in about two hours for the rest of the day for uh on college appointment in san francisco and uh, yada 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 so i hope that doesn't come across like too much of an excuse but i need to have some mental peace and clarity <laughs> before i can fully process how we might do an award show again uh so that might be more of a new year type thing but i haven't forgotten about it hope and plan to do something here just gonna need a little bit more time to uh purge the system and form an action plan so thank you again to all that you've done with this show this two-parter all your great questions thank you jerry again for putting everything together to our partners at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and Discount Tire. More to come next week.